Hi, this is George Saunders. I'm going to read um, the closing of a, a piece called Trump Days that appeared in The New Yorker way back when, uh, when Trump was on the campaign trail the first time. And I went around to um, a few of these rallies and kind of just uh, was quiet and listened to what I heard. And this is the conclusion of that piece. Uh, I think I'm in Arizona at this point at a, a polling station. From the beginning, America has been of two minds about the other. One mind says, be suspicious of it, dominate it, deport it, exploit it, enslave it, kill it as needed. The other mind denies that there can be any such thing as the other in the face of the claim that all are created equal. The first mind has always held violence nearby to use as needed, and that violence has infused everything we do. Our entertainments, our sex, our schools, our ads, our jokes, our view of the earth itself, somehow even our food. It sends our young people abroad in heavy armor, fills public spaces with gunshots, drives people quietly insane in their homes. And here it comes again, that brittle frontier spirit, that lone, lean guy in our heads with a gun and a fear of encroachment. But he's picked up a few tricks along the way has learned to come at us in a form we know and have forgotten to be suspicious of, from TV. Famous, likably cranky, a fan of winning by any means necessary, exploiting our recent dullness and our aversion to calling stupidity stupidity, lest we seem too precious. Donald J. Trump, a guardian angel from heaven, reads a poster I retrieved from the floor of the Wisconsin rally. His spirit and hard work as president will make the people and America great again. Although, to me, Trump seems the very opposite of a guardian angel, I thank him for this. I've never before imagined America as fragile, as an experiment that could, within my very lifetime, fail. But I imagine it that way now. And this reading is uh, from uh, Lincoln and the Bardo, and basically it's in the point of view of a man named Roger Bevins III, who is um, a ghost, uh, and he's in life. He was a young gay man who um, uh, had a an unfortunate love affair, uh, has heartbroken, and then he um, he killed himself. And the reason he's in this sort of liminal space called the Bardo is that he, in the very last instant, uh, he regretted uh, that he had done this and and was trying to come back to life, uh, and he failed. But his sort of um, curse or blessing in the afterlife is that he's very susceptible to the beauties of the world that he uh, regrettably left behind. So this is um, a speech that he makes. They, they've gone to see uh, another ghost who uh, she she happens, this is hard to explain, but she happens to be manifesting as a train at this moment. And they uh, enter the train and try to, try to save her soul. But, um, anyway, so here's the speech. From within the train came the familiar yet always bone-chilling fire sound of the matter-light blooming phenomenon. The train began to vibrate, the hogs within to squeal. I threw myself down on the good and blessed earth, soon to be mine no more. The train exploded. Seats rained down, hog parts rained down, menus rained down, luggage, newspapers, umbrellas, ladies' hats, men's shoes, cheap novels rained down. Rising to my knees, I saw that where the train had been was now only the dreaded iron fence. And there was nothing left for me to do but go. 
though the things of the world were strong with me still, such as, for example, a gaggle of children trudging through a side-blown December flurry, a friendly match share beneath some collision-tilted streetlight, a frozen clock Bert visited within his high tower, cold water from a tin jug, piling off one's clinging shirt post-June rain, pearls, rags, buttons, rug-tuft, beer froth, someone's kind wishes for you, someone remembering to write, someone noticing that you are not at all at ease, a bloody roast death red on a platter, a hedgetop underhand as you flee late to some chalk and wood-fire-smelling schoolhouse, geese above, clover above, the sound of one's own breath when winded, the way a moistness in the eye will blur a field of stars, the sore place on the shoulder a resting toboggan makes, writing one's beloved's name upon a frosted window with a gloved finger, tying a shoe, tying a knot on a package, a mouth on yours, a hand on yours, the ending of the day, the beginning of the day, the feeling that there will always be a day ahead. Goodbye. I must now say goodbye to all of it. Loon call in the dark, calf cramp in the spring, neck rub in the parlor, milk sip at end of day. Some bandy-legged dog proudly backplows the grass to cover its modest shit. A cloud mass down valley breaks apart over the course of a brandy-deepened hour. Lured blinds yield dusty beneath your dragging finger, and it is nearly noon, and you must decide. You have seen what you have seen, and it has wounded you, and it seems you have only one choice left. Blood-stained porcelain bowl wobbles face down on wood floor. Orange peel not at all stirred by disbelieving last breath there among that fine summer dust layer. Fatal knife set down in passing panic on familiar wobbly banister. Later dropped, thrown, by mother, dear mother, heartsick, into the slow-flowing chocolate-brown Potomac. None of it was real. Nothing was real. Everything was real, inconceivably real, infinitely dear. These and all things started as nothing, latent within a vast energy broth, but then we named them and loved them, and in this way brought them forth and now must lose them. I send this out to you, dear friends, before I go in this instantaneous thought burst from a place where time slows and then stops and we may live forever in a single instant. Goodbye, goodbye, quick. Roger Bevins III.